I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophets of Rage. And this is News Beat. Hey, everyone. This is Manny Faces, producer and host of the multi-award winning News Beat podcast. Welcome to this special bonus episode. Before we start, and if you're listening on the web, I, I just want to remind everyone to please subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave a rating and review while you're at it. It helps the cause. You can also find past episodes and ridiculous amounts of bonus content at usnewsbeat.com. Now, on to the business at hand. Followers of this podcast will remember an episode we did in 2018 called The Real Voter Fraud, Felony Disenfranchisement's Civil Death Sentence. It documented how more than 6 million Americans are barred from casting a ballot due to Jim Crow era laws that strip citizens' voting rights following a felony conviction. At the time of that episode, more than a million Floridians were outlawed from voting. And all that changed in November of 2018 when Florida voters approved a ballot initiative that restored voting rights to most people with felony convictions. It was considered the largest expansion of voting rights in decades. The following year, however, the Republican-controlled state legislature passed a law mandating that people with felonies pay court fees and restitution prior to regaining their right to vote even after satisfying their court sentences and probation. The law has been through myriad court battles since, and a recent ruling by a federal appeals court affirmed the state's law, which many decry as a modern-day poll tax. Helping us explain the decision and next steps in this fight is Julie Ebenstein, senior staff attorney with the American Civil Liberties Union's Voting Rights Project. Leading the discussion is our managing editor, Rashed Mian. And here's Rashad and Julie. Julie, thanks for joining us to start. Can you explain the significance of the referendum from two years ago, which Florida voters overwhelmingly approved? Sure. So Florida voters in November of 2018, through a citizen-initiated amendment, updated their, their state constitution to permit 1.4 million of their fellow citizens uh, with a prior conviction to rejoin the electorate and to be able to vote. Before 2018, Florida was really an outlier among states. Any felony conviction took away people's right to vote for life. The politicians and the legislator didn't do anything about this for 100 years. And finally, the people of Florida got together and through their own initiative, collected signatures, went to the polls, and over 65% of them approved what we refer to as Amendment 4, which would restore rights at the end of somebody's uh, sentence, including parole and probation. Yeah, and so the, the law passed by the Republican-led Florida legislature has been through various uh, courts and legal fights and has thus far culminated in a U.S. Court of Appeals decision along partisan lines upholding that law that was signed by Governor Ron DeSantis. So can you explain the verdict and how we sort of got to this point? There's been a, a slew of cases since the amendment was passed. Yep. So, so very sadly, after um, Florida voters got together to try to bring their fellow citizens back into the electorate, the legislative session a couple months later passed a law that created uh, what we call and what the trial court judge called a pay-to-vote system. What the law said was that people would not be considered to have completed their sentence in order to get their rights restored until they paid all of their legal financial obligations related to their conviction. Florida funds its state courts almost entirely through collections of fines and fees from people with a, with a felony conviction. So everybody who's convicted of any felony owes the state at least six or $800 and oftentimes thousands or 
for one of our clients for the first time drug offense, $50,000 in LFOs. So Florida, knowing that a lot of people, a lot of returning citizens, people with a prior conviction are indigent, decided that unless you can afford to pay your legal financial obligations, your LFOs, you would remain disenfranchised. And what did this do? It basically kept people disenfranchised permanently, the exact um, system that the voters of Florida had just rejected. We filed a lawsuit the day that that law went into effect, and we've been in litigation on the case ever since. We won a preliminary injunction back in October of last year, and the Court of Appeals agreed with the trial court and approved that injunction in February of this year. We went to trial uh, just at the beginning of the pandemic by by video. That was interesting. Um, And we were successful in the trial court. Uh, We showed evidence that making people pay to vote violates the 24th Amendment's prohibition on poll taxes, the 14th Amendment because it's wealth discrimination in voting, and the due process clause of the 14th Amendment because Florida can't even tell people how much they owe and how much they have to pay to vote. Unfortunately, we then went in front of the Court of Appeals in mid-August and got a decision back just a couple of weeks ago, overturning what every other court that has looked at this uh, in the last year and a half has said. So the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals now decided that Florida's law is constitutionally valid and will stay in effect for the upcoming election. So it's a, it's a very disappointing decision from, from the Court of Appeals uh, just recently. So what's the next step for um, everybody who's trying to, you know, help out these uh, formerly disenfranchised, well, now currently uh, disenfranchised Florida voters? Are you planning on petitioning the Supreme Court? And there's some that are suggesting that the Supreme Court actually take this up before the November election, which I don't know how possible that is. So can you just explain what's what's next for you? Well, we're still, as far as litigation goes, we're still considering our options. Um, there's a lot of things in flux, the, the composition of the Supreme Court, obviously, just changed this past Friday, very sadly. So we're, we're still considering how to move forward with litigation. What we're focused on now is trying to get everybody who is presently today eligible, registered and able to vote in the upcoming election. That takes two forms. First is, despite the fact that there's about three quarters of a million people who have outstanding LFOs, that leaves a quarter million people or more with a prior conviction who don't have outstanding LFOs. So we're trying to make sure that they know who they are, they know they can vote, and they get registered and make a plan to cast a ballot. There's also other organizations, specifically the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition, which is collecting donations from all over the country. It's really been a great response, despite the bad court decision on how many people want to help returning citizens get their rights back. People are making donations, and folks in Florida are applying to have their LFOs paid by this organization so that they can vote. Those, those two groups we're hoping can become eligible and get registered before the October 5th deadline. Um, as far as litigation, we don't expect that the current situation is gonna change, certainly not before the registration deadline in a couple of weeks. Um, so while we, while we consider our options there, we're just trying to do everything we can practically to make sure that, that as many returning citizens as possible can can uh, participate in the upcoming election. Yeah, and you mentioned it earlier, just in terms of you know the payments obviously can be exorbitant. And there's also the problem of people not even knowing how much they actually owe this, the courts. So can you talk about that process and you know, what happened there? How's that even possible? And what can be done um, in terms of you know, trying to salvage that? 
Yeah, how is that even possible is right. I mean, it, it was really a shocking decision by, the, there were many things about the decision that was shocking. But that particular aspect, that Florida's position has been, we can disenfranchise you for your outstanding debts, but we're not obligated to tell you how much you have to pay in order to get your rights back. And when you think about that, it's just totally inconsistent with legal principles of due process. Here's what you're required by law to do, uh, but we can't tell you the details of what that is, so you have to guess. And obviously, a lot of people are dissuaded from participation, even if they think that they have all their debts paid, but they're not sure, um, because they are now dedicated to staying on the right side of the law and don't want to take the chance. That was really a surprising aspect uh, of the decision and, and truly unfortunate. So, you know, we're trying to assist people. FRRC is trying to assist people. People in Florida can call their local county supervisors of elections or the court in which they were convicted. We're doing everything we can through our organizational plaintiffs, the NAACP and the League of Women Voters, to try to help people figure out what it is they owe and how much they have to pay to get their rights restored. But um, it's understandable that people would feel like Alice in Wonderland here, um, told they can't vote, but not being told by the state what they have to do to be able to vote. Right. And um, and can you just, uh, just the last thing, can you just talk about, you talked about the significance of this, but just in terms of just, uh, as we're discussing how difficult it is for people to get their voting rights restored in Florida. Uh, originally, there was a clemency board. There is a clemency board, right, that made it, I think there was only, you know, several thousand during the term of Governor Rick Scott that actually had their rights restored. And then I think there was a reporting that showed that it was also favored towards Republicans, right? So can you just talk about uh, that process and how that made it also difficult for people to get their rights restored? Sure. So prior to Amendment 4's passage in 2018, the only route to restoration was through clemency and the clemency board, which means that people had to apply for clemency and the governor and the board of executive clemency in Florida had complete discretion on when to grant and when to deny people's applications to get their rights restored. It is a slow moving, if at all, system that oftentimes results in denials. Uh, it's totally inadequate to serve the constitutional principles that we put forward in the case. That said, it may be an option for some people. So it's, it's another route for people to try to get their rights restored. But under Governor DeSantis, you know, I don't have the exact number, but I believe it's under 100 people have had their rights restored that way. Um, it's just not a either a accessible means to, to get one's rights restored in practice, nor is it the means that the voters of Florida approved when they approved Amendment 4. So clemency may be a possibility. It is a frustrating possibility for a lot of people, but that's a, another area where people could, could attempt to get their rights restored like that. I, I would just point out that it's a slow process. And so for folks looking to participate in the November election, it may not be realistic. And actually, just one last thing, just naturally, since you know, voting rights is your expertise, uh, just what's some of your biggest concerns going into the November election right now? Well, the uh, felony disenfranchisement is constantly one of the slow burn concerns in the country. I think it's something that really perverts our, our democratic process to exclude over 6 million people from participating because of a past conviction. That's always uh, on our mind when we talk about voting rights and democracy. But of course, more recently with the pandemic, there's a lot of new challenges to voting, that people don't feel safe uh, going to the polls, that people want access to vote by mail, but there are states that try to restrict it. We have brought a number of lawsuits to try to expand access to vote by mail, 
and a number of lawsuits in the past couple of months to do away with some of the requirements that pose danger during the pandemic. For example, some states in their vote by mail requirements want a witness or a notary to watch somebody sign their, their vote by mail ballot envelope. For someone who's remaining isolated due to health concerns and the pandemic, they can't necessarily connect with, with a notary or with two witnesses uh, to, to be able to, to get that approval of their ballot. So we're, we're trying to address some of the barriers in general to people being able to vote uh, and have their vote counted. And then we're trying to address some of the new barriers that are troublesome in, uh, uh, during the pandemic. The, the best thing that anybody can do now as far as making sure that they are able to vote is to check their registration now today, I did it last week, and to make a plan for how they're gonna cast their ballot. So the same as you would schedule anything else that you have to get done in the next month, uh, to put on their calendar to decide, am I going to vote in person and when? Am I going to vote by mail and have I taken all the steps I need to do that? Confirm your registration, make a voting plan, and encourage others who are eligible to do the same is, is the best thing people can do to protect themselves right now. That's great. All right, uh, Julie, we really appreciate you sharing your insights on this topic. So thanks so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. The other part of this is that if your decision about whether or not a person convicted of a felony who have paid their debt should be allowed to vote again, if it's based in whole or in part on how you think they may vote, then your opposition is anti-American, it's anti-patriotic, it's undemocratic because you're looking to suppress someone's vote because they don't vote like you. And that is not what America is all about. America is about creating a more inclusive democracy. America is about having a diversity of opinions and, and positions and we coming together as a nation and working through those things. Whenever you have to uh, decide about whether or not you want to support uh, restoring the ability to vote to someone and in the back of your head, you're thinking about how they may vote or may not vote, there's inherently a problem with that. When we talk about an inclusive democracy, we mean that we want inclusive democracy for everyone, for everyone. Really get the war zone. How you feel, how you feel though Sounding like a broken record but it's real though Sounding like a joke, you saying we're equal The black code's still a fact though, yeah it's real yo A black hole if you call it what it is Three hour wait for the black vote, what it is Average wait for a polling place, 20 minutes They know they game right, taking names off the list They ain't taking doubles off when it's Jane Smith But soon as it's my brothers though, they turning plain tip Dead man walking, dead woman, dead Kids set you up to fail every step, every trip. They say you paid your debt, but it's only on paper, though. You still in the system, they just got you on laser scope. How come only cons in Vermont and the main can vote? Pendulum in the swing states, and who's favor, though? They say there's not slaves no more. They say they ain't racist, oh. They say we free, explain it, though. Or how we make it so. They say there's not slaves no more. They say they ain't racist, oh. They say we free, explain it though. Or how we make it so. I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophet of Rage. And this is News 